welcome to the Nerd Party. A Doctor Who podcast. I'm Jessica Nunn. And I'm our husband and co-host, Philip Gilfus. You are my award-winning husband. I mean, I didn't win an award for being your husband. No, but you could do. I feel like, you know, if you entered the competition, I mean... Of being your husband? You can't win if you don't play. That's true. Yes. No, uh, well, you're an award-winning person as well. (laughs) You didn't win an award for being my wife. I did not, but I would have done because I'm excellent at it. Yes. Now, uh, recently uh, we won, uh, we entered a um, short film contest, a 48-hour film contest where you have to uh, write, create, edit, and submit a film in a 48-hour time window. So, husband basically got all the information he needed to write his play at 7 p.m. on a Friday and wrote until 5 a.m. Yeah. On and Saturday morning and came up with a beautiful play. And then Jessica acted in that on Saturday when it was shot. I mostly drank beer and played with kitties and then occasionally acted in some scenes. And then our team on Sunday edited it and submitted it. And a couple days ago they had the award ceremony for it uh, for this Greensboro 48 hour, Greensboro, North Carolina. Keeping uh, in mind that we already knew that we'd won audience favorites yeah, for our section. You know, they'd split the teams because, you know, this is, of course, in the age of COVID. So, obviously, they didn't have as many teams competing as perhaps normally do. And things were a little bit different. But in all... Don't don't minimalize it. Well... You were amazing. (laughs) It was amazing. But they didn't have as many groups. But they had two groups. And we won Group A Audience Award. And then when the judges awarded it during the awards ceremony last week, we learned that Jessica won Best Actress Honorable Mention. Yay! We won Best Director Honorable Mention. And then we ended up winning Best Film. Yay! So out of everybody, Philip's script was the best. <laughs> well, it was a whole package, but it yes. It was. It was a whole team effort, but yes, I, it, it was Philip's script. I wrote an award-winning film. That's, that's the point. Yes. So now that film will go on to uh, 48-hour Film Palooza in 2021, wherever that's being held. And then we also got the opportunity to submit to two local uh, film festivals. I guess new product, so we'll see what we do there. Yeah. But yeah, so that was a sort of good part, good start to this week. Um, as we now are recording here at the beaches of North Carolina, awaiting the arrival, arrival of a hurricane. So Indeed. T- peak 2020. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. But it's been sunny the whole weekend. So I know there's a hurricane coming. All the weather things say there's a hurricane coming. But the weather also said it was going to be stormy all weekend. And it has not been. I'm, I don't believe the science. And to be... <laughs> no, fair. And to be honest, I've been a little disappointed. Because I I had 
I had settled myself into the mindset of just sitting out on the screened-in front porch and watching storms roll in, and I've not had that opportunity. To celebrate your birthday. To celebrate my birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. It's tomorrow. It's not today. Right. But by the time you listen to it, it will have already been passed. You'll officially so. be old by the time you I listen to it. I will officially be old. Yes, I am well into my 40s, and my boy toy husband is still... Clutching desperately onto 39 That's for right. another few months. So, there you go. Well, speaking of getting older, we're going to be talking about children. <laughs> That's a terrible segue. That's awful. <laughs> but what do children have to do with Doctor Who? Well, a f- everything. That's true. Children have everything to do with Doctor Who. Doctor Who was created initially as a children-leaning show, shall we say. I mean, it wasn't a children's show. It's not Blue Peter or Sesame Street, but it was designed, at least, with children in mind, uh, certainly for the openings. Possibly not in the new Who, but by then, 50 years had passed, and or not quite 50, but anyway. And people were like, it seems like grown-ups enjoy this too, so... Mm -hmm. So we're going to be talking about the children's books of Doctor Who. Yes. And I'm sure there's many, but we're going to just be focusing on two in particular. But if you know of things that we definitely need to check out, please do. We have a niece and a nephew on your side and a niece and a nephew on my side who definitely need to be educated. So if you've got some good ones that we're not talking about, let us know. We definitely need to nerd them up. We totally need to nerd. I mean, to be fair, the ones on my side... Don't need nerding up quite so badly because they're nerds, proper nerds already, (laughs) but not Doctor Who nerds, and we need to fix that. That's right. Well, first we're going to focus on the Doctor Men books um, that uh, were released from 2017 to 2018. Um, Folks may be more familiar with the original uh, Mr. Men and Little Miss book series from Roger Hargraves, who has since passed on. Um, now, were you familiar with these growing up? Uh, well, hmm, I'm not sure, if I'm honest. And I, I didn't look up when the peak of this was. I mean, I remember them growing up, but but I, I don't know if I was like in the era when it was or if it was later, because I specifically remember that uh, Arby's, which is a restaurant chain here in America, had toys, like little Mis- Mr. Men and Little Miss toys that w- they would give away, I guess, with their children's meal so i had a few in my possession at the time and i remember owning a couple of the books in my you know little in my children's library such as it was i suppose um and i i don't remember as much from my childhood i feel like i was more aware of them in england i mean other than then he passed on then that his uh, son adam sort of continued the tradition, mm. and that Adam Hargraves is the one who did the books we're talking about. Mm. So, uh, But yeah, I, I feel like most of my knowledge comes from England and mm-hmm. being a teacher there, even though I was a secondary teacher, so of course my kids didn't read them, but they were part of the culture, and so. And I feel like the first time we saw these was in London. Yeah. Is that correct? The first time we realized these existed. I feel like either when we were at the Who shop in London, or maybe I was just looking at Doctor Who 
Weekly magazine or something like that. I feel yes. like the first time we saw them, or the first time I saw them, maybe was in the the Doctor Who museum in London, mm-hmm. and and I was like, oh, we need these, and they were like one thousand dollars for the whole set, and we were like, we do not need these that badly. Um, and then you can't decide which one you want, and so you walk away, and then you came up with the idea of getting one per month per huh? month last year. Right. 2019. Uh, the good old days. <laughs> uh, and so we got, yeah, 1 through 12 once a month. And we've talked about them yeah. on here. So. But we're sort of going to talk about them collectively. We're going to talk about them again. Suck it up. <laughs> it's just like all entertainment of 2020 to 2021. <laughs> this it's is going to be rerun. rerun. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> There's no new productions anymore. Because <laughs> we can't be in the same room together, which has nothing to do with coronavirus. It's just because we're bloody sick of each other at this point. <laughs> mm-hmm. But of course, uh, they released Doctor First through Doctor 13. With the only addition of Doctor Tenth Christmas Surprise um, hardcover, at least that's how I bought it. Which I think is wildly appropriate yeah. with uh, Doctor Tenth being the Christmas special, even though there's another Doctor Tenth. But you know, that was his thing, wasn't it? The Christmas, all the Christmas specials, all <laughs> the Christmas specials. Now there is no Doctor War yet. So. No. No, it's a tough. Uh, how do you turn that into a children's story? Well, there's a Doctor Eight. Well, I, I see what you're saying, but yeah, I yeah, don't know. the doctor, but Doctor Ward, yeah, 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 I get what you're saying him, and he didn't want to be called Doctor, so okay. well, he just keeps yelling to call me Doctor at people. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. We give him the title Doctor War on the front of it, and he complains about it throughout the entire <laughs> book. I think that sums it up. Now we can get into the story, but first, you know, with children's books. Uh, a big part is always the illustrations. Mm. And so, what do you think of how the doctors were, have been illustrated in this series? I mean, first of all, I think they're properly the Mr. Men book illustrations, which I think is great. And, yeah, they're each of them has something particularly defining, I think, about... Except maybe Doctor Thirteen. I'm not sure she's got it. You know, I mean, you got the boots, but... Oh, and the earrings. Okay, yes. And that she's the only woman. (laughs) Yeah, but with the the hair like that, you can't necessarily tell. But, you Mm. know, there's something, you know, Dr. Second has his recorder, and Dr. Fifth has his cricket ball, and so I think that there are things that are quite nicely... Dr. Eighth has a stopwatch. I don't know what that's about. (laughs) I think it's from the movie poster, but... Oh, right. Okay. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) And Dr. Tenth looks just like David Tennant, to be quite honest. (laughs) (laughs) Something about it that is distinctly (laughs) David Tennant. So, yeah, I think... uh, And it's just so quintessential that it it harkens back in a beautiful way that I really like. It would be... And I remember reading an article, but, you know, with Adam, or, or I don't know if he does the whole package, but, um... You know, how you choose, like, what color mm-hmm. and then what shape. I mean, most of them, you know, are embrace a circle, but not all of them. Or an oval. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, you have the triangle for uh, Dr. Ten and then more of a rectangle for Twelfth. Everyone else is more or less round um, or oval, as you say. So. Yeah. Noses, Dr. First and Dr. Fourth both have distinct noses. Yeah, and even Dr. Eighth to a little bit. 
um, without being the triangle that Dr. Tenth is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then is there, I know, you know, we, we sort of flip through them all. Um, are there any particular uh, companions you were interested in seeing? No, I can remember, though, going through them the first time and being like, I haven't seen these companions, <laughs> and I don't know who that is. And so I, I flipped through them again this time because I remembered that, and now I'm like, oh, yeah, Perry. Oh, yeah, Susan. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I knowing more helped. I guess. Yeah, and, and of course the one I forgot is the one we're really steeped in right now is um, Dr. Third. Because um, with that one, I think that had almost all of them. Like it had I was their driving say, bus. Yeah, and, a, and I think it had Sarah both. Sarah Jane and... Right, that's what I was saying, all three of them too. Yeah, and so I, I think that was one that I remember going, what are we, who were these people? And then... Now I know who they all are. So yeah, Joe Grant, Joe Grant. and um, oh, Liz Shaw. Her name. And Liz Shaw. Yeah, Liz Shaw's yeah. always playing. Which we think we you'd remember because her relative shows up in the Thirteenth Doctor, Tim Shaw. I <laughs> oh, look at you making jokes. Right? I, know. I totally just made a Doctor Who joke. <laughs> I've come so far, Padawan. <laughs> look, I made a Star Wars joke as well. I don't know <clears throat> what it means. We don't do that. No idea what it means, but uh, there you go. (laughs) But I do like they're all, of course, quirky, you know, Mm -hmm. and and yeah, I don't know necessarily who the audience is for these. I mean, we're doing this under the rubric of children's books because that's sort of the presentation that the um, Mister Man, Little Miss, uh, Little Miss, kind of isn't not comfortable with that term. But anyway, yeah, Um, because you know, I, I like how this is also the Doctor Men books. Now, of course, when this was originally written, we didn't know that Thirteenth was going to be a woman. But still, you know, yeah, so. yeah, Mister Man and Little Miss. It yeah. has issues, but, but anyway. But you also have to remember that we just got finished watching the challenge, the MTV, a one of the many MTV yeah. series, and every time the announcer called the women girls, Philip corrected him from the sofa. So, uh, yeah, my man is woke. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Of course, then it got me saying it, too. I was like, what are they going to do with the girls? Ah, oh, dang it. No, I'm saying The it. ladies. I mean, the... Uh, uh. Shoot. But anyway, but I thought all the books were very, you know, even if they're kind of really for adults, and I don't know, maybe they are really for children, but, you know, I assume Doctor Who fans are mostly buying it for themselves or to be quirky. Maybe there are people who are actually like, oh, I'll introduce this to my children this way, because, you know, if the children don't aren't familiar with Doctor Who, you know, I mean, they're either Doctor children who are familiar or aren't familiar. If they're not familiar, I mean, it's going to be a little odd, but I mean, this is for little kids too, to both enjoy the pictures, Mm -hmm. you know, even if they don't understand the story, if they're a little older and can understand the story, you know, they still make it up. Yeah, and I think Doctor Who fans who have children, this is a lovely, particularly a lovely thing. I mean, we thoroughly enjoy it and have no intention of having children, so... um, our cat doesn't even like it. Our so. cat does not so much. Yeah. Although, I would like the audience to note that we have taken a step forward by Philip referring to the cat as ours instead of mine. Well, for, ta- <laughs> for tax purposes only. For tax purposes. You love him. You guys hang out when I'm asleep and you bond. Don't tell me that you don't. It's like the challenge. We're both healthy competitors. <laughs> He is the Johnny Bananas to my Devin. 
interested to know how many of our audience members get that joke. Because you have to wonder the crossover between <laughs> Doctor Who and MTV's The Challenge. <laughs> what's that What's that Venn diagram look like? Hey, they had re- UK people on. I, that was, I, I don't know, know if that was the first time or not, but... Uh, yeah, no. I mean, there so. are UK competitors and there are boatloads of American competitors. Mm. And hopefully we have people who listen to us from both sides of the ocean. Mm. Um, because there are good people on both sides. <laughs> um, but whether how much of a crossover there is. I mean, like, Doctor Who and The Floor is Lava. Right. I can potentially see a bigger Venn diagram, but uh, Doctor Who and MTV's The, the Challenge, Challenge yes. I'm not sure about. But uh, hey, let us know if you're watching it as well. <laughs> um, but I also like, you know, because there's quirky humor to it there's asides like even the first book i don't know if it was literally the first book but the doctor first book i'm thinking of it's um with the cybermen and you'll have like oh you know the doctor encounters a cyberman he's like well why are the cybermen here in london he's like well they're not here to be tourists and it's like shows a picture of them taking pictures of the changing of the guard yeah or they're not here to you know it's a little funny aside it's kind of like a a family guy-esque breakaway scene or something. Yes, um, yeah. And I think that that's, you know, certainly part of, you can't, I mean, the Cybermen are scary. Uh-huh. So it's nice to have it couched this way. Um, same thing, the Weeping Angels, I think, are in the one with uh, River Song, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so all of these scary animals or scary aliens are not presented that way, but you also have to include them because it's Doctor Who. So Yeah, and I do like the choices of monsters. Some make sense and some, you know, are just whatever. I mean, you know, because some doctors are more connected with some aliens more than others. Like, for instance, the first Doctor and the Cybermen, we're not going to be like that nerdy about it, but like, you know, technically he didn't really meet them until he regenerated, so... But there's a lot of fun, hippie yeah. stuff in there as well, so there's so, that. Yeah, second Doctor has the Yeti... Um, Fourth Doctor is just sort of the Daleks. Fifth Doctor is the monster. I mean, or the master. I won't go through all of them. But, but like, for instance, like the Eighth Doctor has the Solorians. I mean, and, um, maybe there's a big finish we haven't gotten to yet involving yeah. the Eighth Doctor and yeah. the Solorians. But. Yeah. And then uh, Doctor Twelve has Missy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I think is nice. He doesn't. I, I'm sad about not having Bill, but yeah. uh, it's nice to have Missy. And we thoroughly enjoyed trying out her Scottish accent. So. <laughs> and there's actually a great YouTube video, which we'll probably I'll include in the notes, of her reading this book out loud on oh, YouTube. Oh, really? Oh, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. He doesn't tell me anything, y'all. We watched it, and she's forgotten about it, but that's fine. I was going to let him go over. That but. is not a thing that happened. <laughs> Definitely. I would remember that, because uh, I love Missy mm-hmm. and Michelle Gomez. Yeah, but I like it. Like I said, it's one of those things. Even from the pictures alone, because uh, I don't, I don't, I can remember the images of Mister Men and Little Miss, like uh, you know, Mister Happy or Mister Tickle or and Little Miss Sunshine or something. Mister yeah. Tickle may not be still appropriate, <laughs> but I because he had like, the wavy long arms or whatever. But like yeah. I don't remember the stories at all, of course. Um, but I just remember the the imagery is obviously very big. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely a treat for kids and adults. Yes, check it out. Yeah. Go buy them. They're a thousand dollars. They're about. Yeah. No, not just, that. That may be an estimate. That's right. UK conversion <laughs> and toilet paper money. <laughs> oh, 
coronavirus jokes. <laughs> yeah. Well, the next book we wanted to feature, I feel like this is like reading rainbow here. The next book we wanted to feature um, was Doctor Who and the Runaway TARDIS. Yes. And uh, this one is kind of interesting as far as like, because I looked up basic information like, oh, so this was released in 2020. But I'm like, well, who wrote it? Because, you know, you look at the cover and it says based on the series by Chris Chibnall and illustrated by Kim Smith, but it doesn't tell you who wrote it. Mm. You know, I was like, okay, I mean, did Chris write it? Or I didn't know. Because, you know, children's author and story writer is not necessarily the same thing. Yes. And I had to, like, dig and dig and dig. And it was like, finally I found, like, the story was devised by editor Rebecca Gyllenhaal. So, but uh, even devised doesn't give you a whole lot of information. Maybe it was, like, by committee or something. Uh, yeah. And nobody just wants to own up to well, it. that sounds terrible. <laughs> but, uh. I don't know, like, well, first, I mean, let's go in. Well, you, you, you want to describe this book? It's sort of a, you know, the, the Little Men, or the Doctor Men, it's a little small book, so that was sort of its thing. This is more of a proper, large, you know, pop classics. Um, Hardback, chil- children-sized book. You know, cork books, but anyway, yeah. Yeah. It's, I liked this one. This was sweet. Yeah, so this features a little girl named Lizzie. Um, who's moved away. Her family has moved to a new town, and so she doesn't have any friends. So she runs away. With her peanut butter sandwiches. And then she encounters the TARDIS, the 13th Doctor's TARDIS. Yep. And then she drops her peanut butter sandwich into the TARDIS console, obviously. The Doctor discovers her when she tries to turn on the TARDIS, and the TARDIS starts going wonky. And so the doctor has to figure a way to repair the TARDIS. And so uh, Eve... They inevitably end up in outer space. Yep. And they're going through time to different places. And so you have some nice illustrations of dinosaurs, of ancient Egypt. Under the Water is a very particularly good illustration there. Mm -hmm. And then eventually going to an alien planet to help them repair the TARDIS. And, uh, you know, don't spoil anything. But, uh, you know, eventually Lizzie makes friends with the little aliens and kind of goes from there. About how to fix the TARDIS, and it's brilliant. Yeah, and it's it's because it's, it focuses basically on the Doctor and Lizzie. You sort of get um, at the end when they get back home, you do get to see our companions of the Thirteenth Doctor sort of in cameo. I guess um, arriving back on the TARDIS as Lizzie is leaving it. Um, but yeah, it just sort of focuses. I mean, it's sort of a very good children's books. You know, it's the the ch- the child is the main character. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lesson to learn about making new friends and being lonely in new places and, and not running away from home because uh-huh. you might end up on an alien planet or under the sea, but up, but up. Yeah, I would agree. I think this is a proper, proper little children's book. And it is, and you know, and to, to at least note these things, you know, Lizzie is a child of color. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the doctor is a woman. And so you sort of have this sort of the two uh, women in the story here. I think you can actually use the word girl for Lizzie. I'm okay, I'm okay with that. I don't want to use more than one word. So. <laughs> and then, you know, the aliens, I'm sure, could be agendered. Who knows? But anyway, so yeah, I just, I just think it's one of those sort of relatable books, um, or at least opens up the audience to different books here. But yeah, this is gr- lovely illustrations, and they're big. You know, it's a nice, like I said, you know, I don't know what the actual dimensions are here, but, you know, children's books should be properly big. It's the whole, like, you know, you turn the page, you read the part, and then you... you look at the pictures or the turn it around to show it to a group, yeah. Or the actual, you know, uh, written word is only, like, three lines or four lines per page. Um, so that way, if you're there, you know, if 
for the child, if you just want to read to them and show them the pictures, if not, and if they're starting to read on their own, you know, it's nothing that's a little intimidating about how much is on the page there. And they're all, of course, text is appropriate for children. Um, well, I mean, nothing wrong with big words, but, you know, when they're just starting out, you just want to keep them to the basics there. Like, vorp, vorp, vorp. That's a basic. Vorp, vorp. Everybody learns it at a young age. And I think that is a, a, a good part of children's books is that you always have to have weird sounds you have, you have to make and, and weird voices for the aliens or something like that. Yeah, and familiar things as well, which I think is nice. As an introduction, you do, if the child in question, and this is definitely, as I say, a children's book, introduction of a lot of new ideas, but before that we get dinosaurs, we get fishies, we get... Egyptian, Sphinx, you know, so you've got that sort of familiar to base it in before you go to the alien planet and eat the, uh, meet the Plorps or whatever they are. <laughs> Glorps, sorry, Glorps. It's the planet Plorp. Right. And the Glorp are on the Plorp planet. And they're engineers. Yep, got it. That's right. Yeah, it was just... And know, fun words, clearly. Exactly, that's what you always need for children's books. Yes. I was reading that apparently that the, the alien name of Glorp was just a placeholder, but infamously, like so many projects, it never goes away. Yeah. I always, this, and obviously there's probably a million examples, but I'll always call this the Deep Space Nine effect. So in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, they're creating a show, it's space in a space station, what do we call it? I don't know. Well, just Deep Space Nine, you know, it's the placeholder, and then seven years later, suddenly that's the name of the series. You know, yeah. it's, it's not the most creative thing in the world, but sometimes the placeholder just sticks because, you know, it's easier. But Yeah. And the aliens are not in any way intimidating. They have those big old eyes Small. and little tiny things. And yeah. Very they're, relatable to children. Yes. They're sort of tribble or adipose. <laughs> well, I don't know adipose. if you're doing the plural or no, something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's what I was doing. Sort of adipose size. So I picture them going. I just like how they embrace the that the sort of. It was only just from the her first episode of that sort of iconic look from the 13th Doctor with the. Uh, Oh, goggles on the welding yeah, torch. They're trying to figure out how to fix it. Yeah, I'm just saying how that's always sort of kind of an encompassing look for the Thirteenth Doctor. I guess it's always the first impression stick or something. Yeah, some Gallifreyan print there. Anyway, um, so yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, so yeah, we definitely it's a definitely good recommend. Um, you know, I don't know however much children's books cost, but it wasn't. I mean, yeah, I, I think no, for a hardback book, yeah. twenty bucks is sort of par for the course. Yeah. This is good. Yeah. So, yeah. That's a, it's a good story. Good illustrations. What more could you want from a children's book? And it's Doctor Who, and that's good, too. Yes. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. Do you think that there should be other children's books? Perpetually. Who do you think? What's a doctor that you think would be a good children's book? Oh, God. Oh, God. The uh, 11th Doctor would be amazing mm-hmm. as a children's book. 7th Doctor would be good. 2nd Doctor would probably be good. Yeah, I was just trying to think of ones. That we, you know, what are it's sort of asking the question: which doctor is the best with children? And I think even ones you think aren't are like. Well, you said eleventh doctor. I th- I'm thinking of um, uh, the Christmas special, the whatever, the blah blah blah, and the wardrobe. Oh yeah, yeah. Because he, uh, even though he meets the, the the mother, the woman first, he deals with the children sort of one on one and shows you know because he's sort of very childlike or immature himself. But I think even the twelfth Doctor, even though yes. you don't think so, but he met the, that one, you know, s- schoolgirl um, that worked in or worked that went to Clara's school. Yeah, I mean she was a little older, but yeah. But yeah, 
Yeah. But even even a difficult child like that, even though I don't know, I recommend anyone. You know, we don't usually want people to talk to children like that. You know, but he still had a, a way with her and really, and even yeah. even the little girl. And I forget if she was on the spectrum, the little girl from the forest of the whatever it was. You know, when all of London turns into a forest, and there's a little girl who's always like I don't know on her own in the forest, away from the school trip or the field trip that the doctor encounters when all of them oh, is right. to the yeah, forest. Yeah. I don't know if it's her, I don't know, because she always like waving at things, but anyway, like she can hear things special or something like yeah. that. But anyway. And I think with the 11th Doctor, because he starts with Amelia Pond That's when true. she's little. You almost had a child companion there. Yes, yeah, which would have been amazing. Yeah, but yeah, let us know your children's uh, pitch, your, your pitches of Doctor Who stories for children's books. Yes, yes. But you have to do them in the style of Ryan George. <laughs> and for that, we'll go into the TARDIS library. Whoosh, 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 when whoosh. you close your eyes, I go to the library. Go to the library now. So I have a book report for this one. Considering we talked about the Weeping Angels last episode, yes. Yes. I decided to pick a book from our bookshelf, or at least from my bookshelf. It's communal, though, I think. That, I mean, uh, if we divorce, I'm getting half of it. <laughs> that it's uh, Doctor Who Touched by an Angel uh, <laughs> by Jonathan Morris. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. It works on two different levels. One is that <laughs> there's an infant, well, infant, there's a, there was a show in America called Touched by an Angel. Um, also, it's inappropriate to be touched without your consent by anything, even celestial bodies. Right. I think we should just put that disclaimer in. Sure. So, would you like to read the synopsis there? I would. The past is like a foreign country. Nice to visit, but you really wouldn't want to live there. In 2003, Rebecca Whitaker died in a road accident. Her husband, Mark, is still grieving. He receives a battered envelope posted eight years earlier containing a set of instructions with a simple message. You can save her. As Mark is given the chance to save Rebecca, it's up to the Doctor, Amy, and Rory to save the whole world. Because this time, the Weeping Angels are using history itself as a weapon. Yes, this was... First of all, a couple of things. I feel like I went a little bit Phoebe Judge there. Okay. um, Which I just want noted. That was my Phoebe Judge impersonation. Second of all, there is no Oxford comma in this summary. And I'm sadly disappointed by it. <laughs> Carry on. Tell us about the book. Yes, yeah, so this was published in 2011. It sounds really good. I want to read it. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's interesting. I feel like I'm about to say it's bad, but it's not. It's I, I not. did feel that. I was like, oh, <laughs> never mind. Sorry. No, no. I My complaint, which is not a complaint necessarily, but I think there's a tendency in genre writing to, when you're dealing with your genre, you know, whatever, Doctor Who in this case, to introduce a new character... Mm-hmm. And then make that new character the main character. And you're like, well, no, this is about Doctor Who. It should be Doctor Amy and Rory. But that's the, set, the time setting for this with the 11th Doctor. Um, and so Mark, who is ostensibly the new character for this, as what the synopsis shows, you know, it's mostly his story, um, which is not necessarily a bad thing. The Doctor and Amy and Rory are there, too, trying to, to, to defeat the Weeping Angels. Um, but it's sort of his story and so i almost feel like they, they spend a little too much time because you know i don't want to spoil anything but i, I mean you know it, the, the book starts with his wife dying ostensibly from the weeping angels um in a car accident and so as you say basically he ends up being pushed back in time uh, you know from the weeping angels 
And then when he gets the note from himself saying, here's all the things you can do. So now the doctor arrives with Amy Roy to stop him from, because, you know, infecting, infecting the past, changing the past. And, uh, you know, it kind of goes from there with sort of going throughout Mark's timeline and the doctor naming Rory, encountering him at different times of, hint, of I'll call him future Mark, a future Mark, you know, it, encountering his past timeline. Because now he's stuck in the past, but now he's at the same time. So a lot of the Weeping Angels, you're always to the far past, so you don't ever encounter yourself. But this is sort of a near past that they've thrown Mark into. So he can encounter himself, encounter his wife, encounter his friends. And so it's basically like you meet him at college, you meet him in his travels at school. And so as he tries to do that. But anyway, so it's all about the Doctor, because the Weeping Angels are chasing Mark this whole time. And the Doctor's trying to stop Mark from creating some sort of time event that would allow the Weeping Angels to feed and destroy all of time and the usual stuff. The but, usual stuff. But, uh, so, you know, but a good thing is that I, I think... You know, with the Weeping Angels, which is sort of like a my my metaphor that I used in my Goodreads review is like it's like a car chase. It's hard to do a car chase in a book, though I have seen it done once or twice. Well, but it's hard, you know, because it's yeah. a visual medium. But the Weeping Angels, the the scariness of them, you know, you think will that translate in a book? Because you know you can't sneak up, you know, in a book. It's just like oh, the, the Weeping Angel was there, you know, and you um, can't have that weird music yeah. that goes dum dum. Yeah. Sure. But it, I think it works. I think it's they're still scary um, in the book, so, oh, which I think cool. it's hard to do. And that's always interesting to look at. I find things that feel like they would only work in film, or to an extent, things that only seem like they'll work in books, seeing the way they transfer. And thinking about uh, The Woman in Black, which is the scariest thing on stage I've ever seen. And how do you make jump scares scary in a play? Yeah, right. Yeah, The Woman in Black's bloody terrified. And so I'm fascinated by how do you make things scary on stage? Um, and so then how do you make something like, as you say, the Weeping Angels who move when you stop looking at them so how can you describe what's happened it's an interesting idea so yeah be interesting to look at that mm-hmm. yeah it's a definite recommend I, I think you know there you could argue I, I don't know i'm trying to remember what this was written this was written in 2011 I'm trying to remember when angels take manhattan aired because i couldn't tell if it if the book was kind of contradicted a little bit by that it doesn't matter you know, stars with the Weeping Angels work or whatever. But that was just like a nibbly point. But I don't think that it would ruin anything at all um, about it. But, yeah, so it was, it's it's very timey-wimey, but I think that's appropriate given that the Weeping Angels were written by, or are all written by Stephen Moffat. And the Weeping Angels are pretty timey that yeah. that's where the phrase came from. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, there's a little Back to the future too as well, you know. With... That's different. <laughs> that's different. I agree. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, so it's... Uh, Touched by an Angel by Jonathan Morris, <laughs> so from the BBC Books Doctor Who series. Cool. Check right. it out. Yeah. All right. Well, happy birthday, Jessica. Thank you, baby. And until next week, enjoy the Doctor's many adventures throughout time and space. This is BBC Television.